This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. And I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. Ivy and I will be your hosts for Downtown Lowdown and we'll be giving you the lowdown on what's new in business, events, development, and issues that affect downtown. In each episode, we'll also talk to individuals that are key players that work to make downtown better. So this is episode three of the Downtown Lowdown. It's October. Yay! The weather has definitely turned. It is fall in downtown Halifax. Yes, autumn is great in downtown. Autumn is great, yeah. Lots of events and festivals in the autumn. In autumn. There's lots to do in October. It's a, it's a good month. So what can listeners expect from today's episode? Well, today we have Lindsay Ann Corey, the Executive Director of Nocturne Art at Night Festival. So she'll be giving us highlights of this year's festival. Uh, we have Biz Buzz with Kuda, and this is her last episode. So we'll continue on with Biz Buzz, but Kuda is moving on to do her MBA. So that's kind of sad for us, but mm-hmm. great for her. Uh, Morgan Mullen is here from the coast to talk about the five must-do events over the next two weeks. Uh, we will be giving everyone an update on the Halifax Lights Festival and our holiday gift guide. But first up, we have highlights from the Federal Candidates Forum on Downtowns and Main Streets that took place on September 23rd, and that's in preparation for the upcoming federal election. That sounds exciting. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a good show. Yes, let's get going. Let's get started. The Federal Candidates Forum on Downtowns and Main Streets took place on the evening of September 23rd at Neptune Theatre. The forum was presented by us, Downtown Halifax Business Commission, along with the Halifax Chamber of Commerce, HFX Collectives, Project Citizen, Quinpool Road Main Street District Association, Neptune Theatre, North End Business Association, Planifax, Spring Garden Area Business Association, and the Village on Main, Main Street Dartmouth Community Improvement District. The forum was hosted by Norma Lee McLeod, consultant and former host of CBC's Maritime Noon, with opening remarks by Mayor Mike Savage on behalf of the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. All candidates from each party running in Halifax and Dartmouth Coal Harbour were invited to this forum. The seven candidates that participated were Bruce Holland, Halifax Conservative Party of Canada, Jason Cole, Dartmouth Coal Harbour Conservative Party of Canada, Joanne Roberts, Halifax Green Party of Canada, Will McPherson, Dartmouth Coal Harbour Green Party of Canada, Andy Fillmore, Halifax Liberal Party of Canada, Darren Fisher, Dartmouth Coal Harbour Liberal Party of Canada, and Emma Norton, Dartmouth Coal Harbour New Democratic Party. Candidates that were unavailable to participate were Christine Saunier, Halifax New Democratic Party, and Michelle Lindsay, Dartmouth Coal Harbour People's Party of Canada. We are only presenting the highlights of the forum in downtown Lowdown. The issues that we chose to highlight are ones that are generating the most interest. They include affordable housing, arts and culture, and climate change. Emily Miller's questions focused on accessible transportation and youth in the workplace. We also tried to be as fair as possible, so each candidate is featured twice on this edited version. If you would like to watch the full forum, Planifax video recorded the event. The link is on our website at downtownhalifax.ca forward slash podcast, or you can find it at planifax.ca forward slash videos. This candidate's forum is presented by a number of groups. They are Downtown Halifax Business Commission, Downtown Dartmouth Business Commission, Halifax Chamber of Commerce, Halifax Collectives Project Citizen, Quinpool Road Main Street District Association, Neptune Theatre, North End Business Association, Planifax, 
Spring Garden Area Business Association, and the Village on Main, Main Street Dartmouth Community Improvement District. And the business improvement districts that uh, I just mentioned are part of the national network of IDA Canada, which represents over 500 organizations across the country. They manage Canada's business districts and make them vital places in the nation's identity and key centers of economic, cultural, and social growth. Across Canada, downtown organizations are hosting forums like this one with federal candidates to highlight the importance of downtowns and main streets in Canada's national economic prosperity. I just want to offer a few words of welcome to all of you and to our slate of candidates here tonight. That's what mayors often do. But I also know what it's like to put your name on a ballot. I know how exciting it is to win, and I know how disappointing it is to lose. So the sting of defeat is tough. But whatever your political stripe, congratulations to our candidates for putting their name on a ballot and standing up for what they believe. All candidates from each party running in Halifax and Dartmouth Coal Harbour were invited to this forum. Unfortunately, Christine Saunier of the NDP and Michelle Lindsay of the People's Party of Canada were unable to participate this evening. So I would like now to introduce you to the candidates from Halifax and Dartmouth Coal Harbour who are with us for the evening. Starting on my immediate left, Bruce Holland, Halifax, the Conservative Party of Canada. Jason Cole, Dartmouth Coal Harbour, the Conservative Party of Canada. Joanne Roberts, Halifax, Green Party of Canada. Lil McPherson, Dartmouth Coal Harbour, Green Party of Canada. Andy Fillmore, Halifax, Liberal Party of Canada. Darren Fisher, Dartmouth Coal Harbour, Liberal Party of Canada. And finally, Emma Norton, Dartmouth Coal Harbour, New Democratic Party. And the question is this. A national housing strategy was recently launched at the federal level. However, from a local Halifax-Dartmouth context, there continues to be an affordable housing crisis. What part do you see the federal government playing in tackling the affordable housing crisis here? Now, I want to remind you guys all that affordable housing is not just for the poor. It's for the working class. A married couple, two graduating students, restaurant workers, I've been there, hotel workers, nurses, caregivers. We have to change the conversation. This, this is the people that make our city run for affordable housing. Thank you. As our municipality grows more successful and more popular, high rent costs come with it. And we know that this is becoming a huge problem. And all orders of government have a role to play in solving this. When we were elected in 2015, we made sure that the federal government had an active role in tackling the issue of affordable housing. Early on, we introduced the National Housing Strategy, and it's helped more than 1 million Canadians find a place to call home through new builds, renos, and rental subsidies. And we have incentives available to encourage the development of more affordable rental units. In total, we're talking over $7 billion in housing investments. Our government introduced for the first time in Canada legislation that recognizes the rights of Canadians to access adequate housing. And the, leg the legislation also requires all future governments to maintain a national housing strategy. So it can't be dropped if another government comes in. We do believe the federal government has an important role in this. 
One is, is to have a national body, not to govern per se, but to see who's doing it well. That's the wonderful thing about having multiple countries do different things and then multiple municipalities doing different things to tackle the same problem. So if we can say, hey, you know what, Cape Breton's really doing a good job at this. Uh, you know, maybe we should adopt that. And it's good to have each municipality uh, do their own thing, but then also have those results go up so that we can look at them all and see who's winning and who's really doing this good and efficient and respecting the taxpayer along the way while we honor people to put them in an affordable home. The cost of land is a big impediment to private developers building affordable housing in an urban area. And any surplus federal land is disposed of by the Canada Lands Corporation. And some examples in the urban core would be the Ralston Building, which is the former home of the Canada Revenue Agency. They moved out uh, to a business park recently. There's the former RCMP building and, of course, Shannon Park. So the next question is, should Canada Lands Corporation be permitted to use surplus lands as affording housing developments? So the prospects for Shannon Park are very exciting, and I would welcome mixed housing project as long as it includes affordable housing and is done in true consultation with the Mi'kmaq people. Well, I don't. Thank you. I do not support the bid to use it as a stadium. We are in a housing crisis in HRM, and we need to focus on housing people first. How would you create networks of car-free, accessible transportation options that enable mobility within and between our communities? I don't know if anybody knows this, but in 1986, uh, with a population of 400,000 400, people, the city of Vancouver introduced their first SkyTrain. And there's absolutely no reason why the city of Halifax couldn't have light rail rapid trains bringing people in and out of the city, reducing the carbon footprint of all those cars that are sitting in traffic every morning and every night, and uh, just make it more walkable, more accessible. And so I have lots of ideas around that, and I look forward, as the MP, to bringing them to Halifax. Well, we just recently announced uh, a plank in our platform to increase funding dramatically to stem, stimulate uh, reinvestment in public transpor transportation. We know that if we can start moving people in our cities and between our cities with electric vehicles, with hydrogen-powered vehicles, we can cut our greenhouse gases. And we can also provide the lifestyle that so many people are looking for. Um, so we're saying... Let's set a goal. Let's set a goal that we'll have zero carbon public transportation everywhere in this country by 2040. That's a goal. As they say in the transportation business, if you don't know where you're going, it's pretty hard to get there. So it's time we said that is our goal, to get to zero carbon by 2040. So what are you going to do to ensure... Uh, people in the workforce and the next generation who will be entering the workforce have the skills necessary to make a living knowing that the future of work is very different from the past. We've lowered the, business, the small business tax rate and we've been working on removing red tape. It's making it so difficult for businesses to navigate and to succeed. We've invested heavily in innovation. Young, innovative entrepreneurs doing things again, as I said earlier in the opening, doing things that they once had to leave Nova Scotia for. They had to go down the road. They couldn't do them here. Something that's really exciting, we just announced that a re-elected Liberal government would provide up to 2,000 entrepreneurs with as much as $50,000 to launch a new business. That, to me, is incredible. 
There are so many people out there that want to take the chance to start a business, and what a head start this would give to those young people. We're going to make it easier and cheaper for them to incorporate, and we're finally eliminating the swipe fee on the HST and the GST portion of credit card transactions. That's going to save businesses $500 million in Canada. As a young person, I get it. I understand this question. I am constantly worried about the future. And I'm in this for everyone, but especially for young people like me who are concerned about the future. I believe that access to education should never depend on how much money your parents make or how much debt you can carry. If you have the grades and the drive to study hard, you should be able to get the education you want at any age in any community. And that's why the NDP is committed to ensuring that every Canadian has access to publicly funded education, from affordable childcare and early years education through to university and college, apprenticeship training, skills development, and retraining programs. We will work to include post-secondary education as part of our public education system. That means universities and colleges publicly funded. We will eliminate interest on federal student loans, will move away from loans and significantly increase access to non-repayable student grants. I also just heard Jagmeet say this afternoon, you know, if we can forgive the loans to corporate to corporations that amount to $6 billion, why can't we forgive student debt? Arts and culture make communities more vibrant and attractive for young people, for new Canadians, for businesses and investment. What specific plans do you have to encourage arts and culture and would you increase funding? I have to say, as the MP for Halifax, I'm extremely proud of our government's record on supporting arts and culture. Our government has made the biggest reinvestment in the arts and culture and media sector in Canada in 30 years, over $3 billion over the last four years, and the largest in the G7. This has been, this has been extremely important. For Halifax, this means a new Art Gallery of Nova Scotia on the waterfront. It means the new Culture Link in the old World Trade Center. It means uh, support for renovation projects right here at Neptune, the seats you're sitting in, and the lights that we're all glistening under tonight are a result of that investment. Um, and many, many other uh, small performance uh, venues as well, like the Pond Playhouse, for example. There are so many. We're investing heavily in arts and cultural organizations. We've doubled the investment in the Canada Council for the Arts with $550 million over five years. We've increased funding for Telefilm Canada by $22 million. We've increased funding for the National Film Board by $13.5 million. $675 million to the CBC to restore the funding cut by the Conservative government. Isn't that good? Okay, well, there's more work to do. You know, we have so many social issues that we need to deal with, whether it's housing or uh, hospitals or health or, you know, it, it, the, it just goes on, the litany of things that, that have not been addressed uh, in recent years. So, yes, I would like to, uh, and I would as much as I can, um, encourage uh, our government to increase funding to the arts, but, you know, that, that would be tempered with uh, making sure that social issues and the needs of social uh, issues are met. The arts contribute greatly to who we are as Canadians, and they are being underfunded. I would say that the Liberal government had stopped the bleeding. I don't think they let them bleed out totally, Emma. But you know, it's too bad, Andy. If we had proportional representation, you and I could both work on this. Um, <laughs> Uh, 
Be, because I think we share a vision. I think we share a vision. So yes, uh, like my colleague in the NDP, uh, we would close the tax loophole. That means that Netflix and Google and Facebook are not paying taxes in Canada. They would pay taxes, and those taxes were going to a film production company. So yes, thank you. Uh, we would look at increasing uh, funding for Canada's arts and culture. And I know that I have a bias here because I worked for the CBC for a long time. Funding was restored, and I'm very grateful to the Liberal government, but, but it simply stabilized the CBC. We would increase CB funding to CBC and Radio Canada uh, by $315 million a year until they reach the per capita level of funding that we see it by the BBC in, in England. Next question is... Uh one that's been alluded to in many ways tonight, and it's on climate change. And the question is, what should the federal government do to tackle climate change, particularly as it impacts coastal cities such as Halifax, Dartmouth? The Green government, us, will pass into a law of Climate Change Act requiring 60% cut in greenhouse gas emissions by 2005 levels by 2030, reaching a zero net by 2050. We are, we are the only game changer. We will establish a cross-party inner cabinet to deal with climate change. There'll be no new pipelines, no coal, oil or gas drilling or mining, including offshore wells. That's good for us in Nova Scotia, protecting our, our waters. That will not be approved. Existing oil and gas operations will continue on declining basis. The bitumen production phased out between 2030 and 2035. Hydraulic factoring, banned. Operations will be banned. I can't wait to do that one. Uh, will be outright impacts on groundwater quality, methane release, and systematic uh, activity. We'll establish climate change emission targets for all components of food systems, my one, including nitrogen fertilizer use, livestock production, and transportation. Food is such a huge box on climate change, and it's not really addressed loud enough. I feel I can be a good voice on that. That's why I built a business. We are so food insecure for Nova Scotia. If we got hit by a hurricane tomorrow, which we did last week, I don't know if everybody noticed how empty the shelves were after just a couple of days. We got three days of food left, folks. So food security for us, northern climate, we got to do it. Thank you. We absolutely need a, a credible plan to tackle climate change. I know that because I've, I've been working on climate plans for my entire career, but I also know it because I knock on thousands of doors in Halifax, not just this year, but every year since my election. And this is what is front of mind for Haligonians right now. We have developed, the Liberal government has created the Pan-Canadian Framework on Clean Growth and Climate Change. It's a real plan. It's got buy-in from the provinces and territories. It's going to get us to meet our, our emissions reductions targets as they exist today. And if those go up, we'll, we'll work to get uh, a way to meet those new emissions targets as well. Um, since 2015, our government has committed over $60 billion to combat climate change, including $28 billion to support urban public transit, $26 billion in green uh, infrastructure, launching a $2 billion low-carbon uh, low economy fund that supports projects that generate clean growth and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We've committed $1.5 billion for the Oceans Protection Plan, $1.3 billion for nature conservancy for terrestrial and land-based habitats, $2.3 billion to support clean technology, a billion to support energy efficiency initiatives through the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. Um, we have, uh, just uh, uh, this summer, I announced $18 million here in Halifax to create an urban climate centre uh, uh, with Efficiency One in, in Dartmouth. Um, to, uh, we've put a national price uh, on uh, carbon pollution. We, are, we have announced our intention to phase out single-use plastics. We're phasing out coal power. All of that $180 billion investment that I had mentioned for communities is now being uh, administered through a 
climate lens, which flows directly from my own private member's motion, M45, requiring life cycle GHG analyses for every application for, for government infrastructure. We have a Green New Deal. It's in operation right now. Now, this is what this country needs, and it's happening. Let me be clear right at the get-go. Climate change is real. Okay. Now, imagine that there is a... This, this is how I explain it a bit to people that we do need to deal with this. Imagine there's a barrel in front of me full of oil. Now, imagine I light it on fire. Now, imagine if I do that to 100 million barrels, and then you do that every day. Now, I know not all oils burn, but you get the analogy fits. Okay, that doesn't take a rocket science to realize we probably should be doing something different about this. And we will. And we are. I'm also an optimist that I believe that we will be able to work our way, humanity, out of this. I do see some challenges on a global scale because this is a global problem. Uh, not to make any excuses, but to say something very clearly, Canada makes up 1.6% of all global emissions. Last year alone, the rest of the world increased their emissions by 2.8% which means as great as all these platforms seem, we could all uh, die tomorrow and the world in seven months would replace our carbon emissions. We need to be world leaders on this. We need to be world leaders and just not here at home when we use our infrastructure funds, uh, which we are going to be doing on massive scale, uh, but also to allow provinces to be in use of those for the goals that we have of decarbonizing. So we've come to the end of our evening. Uh, so on behalf of all the partners who presented this forum, thank you so much for coming out this evening. And of course, thank you to all of the candidates for participating. That was highlights from the Federal Candidates Forum on downtowns and main streets that took place on September 23rd. On behalf of all the partners that presented the forum, we would like to thank everyone who came to the forum, the participating candidates, moderator Norma Lee McLeod, Mayor Mike Savage on behalf of the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, and Neptune Theatre for hosting. If you would like to see the full federal candidates forum, go to downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast or at planifax.ca slash videos to watch the video produced by Planifax. Lastly, please vote on October 21st. Today we're talking to Lindsay Ann Corey, the Executive Director of Nocturne Art at Night Festival. Nocturne is a fall festival that brings art and energy to the streets of Halifax. This year, Nocturne is taking place on Saturday, October 19th. Welcome to the Downtown Lowdown, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start with Nocturne. Can you tell us a bit about Nocturne Art at Night Festival and when it started and why? Sure. So this is the 12th time the festival has happened, so it's been around for 11 years of operation. And it's a one-night kind of art extravaganza in the city. We have some lead-up events throughout the week, but the main event is the kind of Saturday night, 6 to midnight, and it's a chance for artists to take over the city in response to a theme every year and for kind of the public to understand how art can be a catalyst for connection in kind of your spaces around your city too. And so what about you? How did you get involved with Nocturne? I got involved in Nocturne now six years ago, so I've been around the festival for a while. I got involved because I moved to Nova Scotia and really wanted to make connections in the art world. I was an art student in Montreal and I'd worked at the festivals before. I had worked in my university and I was moving here for really knew no one and kind of did a cursory search of what art things are happening in Halifax yeah. on Google and Nocturne popped up, a few other things popped up and I kind of volunteered a lot my first couple years um, all around the city and then really found a niche in 
in Nocturne and how I wanted to see it grow and how I thought it was really unique in the landscape of temporary art festivals that I had been to in Toronto and Montreal. And so it was a really good fit for me. And I think also just like the connection to volunteering, which I've always been really passionate about, was a chance to like see how volunteers could really make an impact in their city and Mm -hmm. all of the good things. Kind of interesting starting as a volunteer and moving up to the executive director. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, it's really a dream opportunity because I really had to put the work in to do it and to make a space for myself within an organization that typically had no staff. Usually we would have like a summer student or like an administrative support person that would help kind of the day to day. Um, But we, the festival just kept growing and growing and I had moved kind of through different positions on the board and came to year 10, which was 2017. And it was kind of this moment to be like, okay, so we're 10 years old. Um, What do we see for ourselves kind of three, five years down the road from now? Our strategic plan says that by now we should be really focusing on bringing together staff, core staff, to run the festival, that it's becoming too much. I was really recognizing it was becoming too much as a volunteer, Mm -hmm, and I kind of just gave the board my notice of, like, this is probably the last year I can do this as a volunteer, and probably the last year that Nocturne can really function on a volunteer level, like, not just for me. The board and committees and volunteers are always going to be so important, but I was really passionate about making more art jobs in the city, and I was like, we have some kind of some grants that can help support a bit of a salary. We have corporate sponsorship that we can grow upon, but we really need to place the value like we do on artists' work. We were one. We were one of the first local festivals to pay artists an equitable wage for their work, and. And I mean, we're still trying to get better and better at that, but we had never recognized the administrative role that happens to make these big events happen. And so it was like, I think it's time that we really focus on this and try to find the money to have an executive director. And at that point, I'll step down and I'll apply. And if I get in, great. If I don't, then at least the festival's in a good place to move forward. And it's really fortunate to get kind of the role that I had built for the organization. So it's exciting. So that kind of leads into the next question, which is, how has Nocturne changed over the years? Yeah, I mean, on the volunteer side, for sure. I mean, that's always going to be so important to the festival. We still bring out, I think this year we have currently 120 volunteers signed up, and we need at least 200 to make the festival happen. Wow. And that's, that's really, like, pretty base level. It's a big festival. So... It's changed a lot in the organizational style, so the board, while it's still really integral to the planning of the festival, they've become more of an advisory board that has helped kind of position the organization um, in such a way that we can apply for grants that go beyond our one-night festival. So we're doing um, more kind of events throughout the year. So we did a temporary art um, installation, a mural with the Downtown Halifax Business Commission Mm -hmm. earlier this summer. But we also are doing this series of summer workshops for immigrants and newcomers. Um, So this is called the Nocturne Noisemakers Program, and it's totally separate from the festival. So we've been able to, I think also with having someone full-time working in that position, Mm -hmm. 
it's it's allowed us to kind of think more broadly about what the impact of Nocturne can be beyond kind of a temporary art. Event. Right. All through the year. Yeah. All through the year. Just one night. Yeah. So the theme of this year's Nocturne is Scaffold. Can you tell us more about this theme and just expand on why you have themes yeah. here too? Yeah. So for the beginning, kind of five years of Nocturne or so, we didn't have a theme. It was just kind of temporary art, art at night in the city, site-specific work. And we were seeing up-and-coming curators who were really interesting that we really wanted to work with and find a place for them within the festival and recognizing that locally we're really the only opportunity for curators to work on something really large. And so we started kind of developing this curator role that could kind of formulate a vision for the festival each year so that we could also keep the public coming back year after year to experience new things and to kind of re-channel a conversation about something that's happening or something that's of interest to the public at large. So Scaffold so came about because we hired on this year Tori Fleming um, as our curator. So Tori, who actually was a volunteer for Nocturne on the board, kind of three years ago as a programming director and now works for the Center for Art Tapes, has a real interest in kind of a changing city and a, a city in transition. And she had this idea of, like, what if Nocturne, what if artists got the chance to design a city? We sit here every day looking at what developers think is right for our city, and artists are ne- almost never involved in that conversation, or they're involved after the fact when there needs to be a public art piece somewhere, but they're never involved in the design or the kind of assumptions behind what's right for the city. And so what an opportunity to use Nocturne to kind of talk about those those ideas and let artists kind of come to mm-hmm. us with their big projects. And I can say that the projects are much bigger this year feeling, I think, because of it, because we're talking about buildings and we're talking about scaffolding. But on the other side of it, we're also talking about more of the conceptual side of scaffolding, where it's also about support structures that exist in our everyday lives, whether that's the law, whether that's kind of um, race relations or even things like maybe family and yeah like what support structures help us get through our day what support structures hinder our days too and how do we look at those conceptually as scaffolding and what do you do when you pull that scaffolding away so a lot of artists are also thinking about it in that regard too yeah that's really interesting when you think of scaffold you do think of building and construction but you don't think of how it affects you in everyday life and I think it really does in the downtown yeah um we talk a lot to members of uh, the disability community right about how inaccessible the downtown is right yes. now and no matter how hard HRM tries or how um how much effort is put towards conversations around accessibility, it still remains a fairly inaccessible city when it's this under construction. And so something that's been really interesting in talking with some of our partners and and people that are working within the disability community is like, so we're talking about scaffolding and wanting to have an accessible festival. These conversations should and always be one and the same. And I think that's something that I'm really interested in having artists at the table for in like, how does scaffolding, how does this changing city and making the city better really affect us on an everyday level? And how can art kind of be the the thing that pokes in at that and says, maybe we can do it a different way. Mm -hmm. Get people talking, thinking about it. Yes. Yeah. So for people that may be new to Nocturne, what can they expect 
Um, it's hard to say. It's different every year. Um, you can expect to stumble upon things. You can expect to find things that you didn't know were going to be there. You can expect that your kind of local, the way you walk to work every day is going to look significantly different on the night of Nocturne. One, it's packed in the mm-hmm. streets. and It's dark. It's dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, and But also there could be something small or something large that's really confronting your everyday path. Um, I think also people get to know their city better during Nocturne. It's nice that it's kind of at the beginning of the school year, the um, kind of time to re-explore your city and forge new paths through it. So thanks to looking at it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And like what to expect. I mean, expect a lot of art, expect a lot of things that you might not quite understand right away but I think give each project some time and 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 take away from it what you want and then walk 10 feet down the road and you'll find something else right because it's not just like art like a you know pictures and things it's also performances absolutely I think that a lot of people that might feel whether it's fear or whether it's feeling um, like they don't belong in museums or galleries or they don't feel comfortable in those spaces Mm -hmm. Nocturne is really kind of a, um, a leveling of that and it's more about like you don't have to have a background in art history or understand right. the great painters of the last <laughs> thousand years. <laughs> you can walk down your street and see a projection artist that's kind of peeling the building off and showing you the inner workings in between. And you can see a performance happening where someone is chasing a bear through the streets of Halifax and and you get to decide the direction that that, that performance takes. So. And that's what that's a great point because it is a fun festival. It is. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. accessible art-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's free and open to the public, so anybody can just participate, immerse themselves in art. Mm-hmm. So any advice for how to make the most out of your Nocturne experience? Yes. So um, lots of things. So we put out a guide. It comes out on the Thursday before the festival, so... That's Thursday, the 17th of October, that the guide comes out. So definitely pick that up. It comes out in the coast and kind of devour that over three days. Uh, We also put it out on our website. We have a mobile guide as well, so you can um, kind of get at that a little bit early. And kind of try to plan your route, do some circling or some highlighting of projects that you're really interested in. But on the other side of it, we're putting a real focus on sustainability and the environment this year and kind of really pushing people to bring their to-go cups out with them. We know that you're going to go to a local establishment, get a coffee, get something, bring something with you so that we don't see the garbage cans overflowing with coffee cups because you definitely will want a warm drink at some point. So so make a plan to kind of bring that out. We're working with the tear shop this year and doing kind of a pre-festival information session about ways that you can be more environmentally conscious Mm -hmm. at our festival and other festivals. But also I think like go to your local media and read what they're suggesting you go to. We're covered by most local uh, media and radio and they're talking about what projects they're interested in. and, And I think if you if you love Portia Clark on uh, on kind of information morning on CBC, she might have some opinions on like what project she's most interested in. Right, so yeah. yeah, I think try to absorb all the information you can, and then also just kind of throw that out on the night of and just stumble upon what you stumble upon. We can make all the plans that we want, but truly when you go out on Nocturne, you have to be ready to divert mm-hmm. and to kind of 
be pulled in another direction. Um, if there's a line somewhere or too big of a crowd, maybe go down the street to the next project and come back to it later. So allow yourself to be a little bit more flexible, too. And dress warm. Dress warm. Dress for the weather. Dress for the weather. I used to say that it never rains on Nocturne because for 10 years it never rained on Nocturne. And then it rained. And then the last few years it rained every year. But it only rained for like maybe an hour and then it was totally fine. Sometimes it's like super warm out on Nocturne. Yeah, it can be. So I guess just check the weather, dress for it, go out with your friends, bring some snacks, Mm -hmm. maybe some stop in at a local yeah, establishment cafe, a we do yeah we do um the nocturne beer it's brewed by propeller um mm-hmm. it's being served at a lot of local downtown uh bars so you can stop in and get a beer on your way if you're of age of course but, um, it's also very fam- family friendly it is family mm-hmm. friendly yeah. yeah totally yeah yeah so bring your kids Bring your kids. Your not family. to the bar, though. Not maybe to the bar. Not. Well, maybe open for the like four nine. Yeah, yeah. four nine o'clock. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Bring it for the first three hours. Yeah. Then, like, take the kids home and then get yeah, a babysitter. Right. Go out again later. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your grandparents. Bring everyone. Well, I know at uh, downtown Halifax, we love Nocturne because it brings so many people downtown, like all kinds of people, and uh, to enjoy art and mm-hmm. the downtowns. That was Lindsay Ann Corey, the executive director of Nocturne Art at Night Festival. Nocturne Art at Night is taking place on Saturday, October 19th. It starts at 6 p.m. and goes until midnight. For more information on Nocturne, visit our website, downtownhalifax.ca forward slash podcast or nocturnehalifax.ca. And now for BizBuzz. So we have Kuda here today, and she's going to be talking about five new businesses in downtown Halifax for BizBuzz. Hi, I'm Kuda, Membership Engagement Manager, and we're going to start with a new Jamaican spot that opened downtown. So Brata Jamaican Jerk Joint is open at 1567 Grafton Street, and they offer just-like-home Jamaican meals and treats, including the famous jerk chicken. Now, Brighton Sandwich Board outside their spot says the best jerks in town, and I did try their jerk chicken, and it was very, very tasty. I've heard it was good from other people who've been there also. Yeah, it was it was yum. I liked it. And as a vegetarian, I'm happy to know that uh, they actually do have vegetarian options. I looked at their website and looked at their menu, and it looked really good. I'm looking That's forward good. to uh, trying it out. Yeah. There you go. You can get some chicken and some vegetarian options. And downtown has a new pizza spot. Yeah, yes, pizza is open at 1663 Barrington Street, and they serve up delicious pizza in a fun, relaxed space with the option of beer or wine to go down with your pizza. Now, I've heard their pizza is very addictive, um, and you can also doodle on your paper plate whilst you're waiting for a slice. Have either of you tried it? Yeah, yeah, this is really good. Yeah. I've had it at their Dartmouth location. Mm. Yes, I went to Dartmouth. <gasps> but uh, it's really, really good. I'm super excited that they're, they are downtown, and I will be checking them out. Well, I tried their downtown location, <laughs> <laughs> and it was very good. It was really good. And to get gourmet pizza by the slice nice. is very rare in very town. Nice. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are excited about that. And I had the margarita vegetarian, so nice. You're a champion for vegetarian I downtown. Am, I am. I try to be sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Good. All right. And then we have Audrey's Little Shop of Plants that is open in Bishop's Landing by the waterfront. Now, this store is called Audrey 2, T-O-O, and it is Audrey's Little Shop's Halifax location. So Audrey 2 is a boutique plant shop selling all things plants, and their space is a beautiful haven of greenery, and we're very happy to have them downtown. 
Now, Alana, are you going to get Elvis the cactus a brother? <laughs> so I have a cactus named Elvis. It oh, was Elvis given cactus. to me uh, as a Secret Santa gift two years ago from uh, our old, our previous navigator, Sasha yeah. Curran. Yeah. And Elvis struggled for a little bit. Um, we weren't really sure how to take care of a cactus, <laughs> and I'm blaming everyone. <laughs> Notice how I said cactus? we and not I. Hmm. But <laughs> we replanted Elvis, and he is growing, and he's super big right now. So, yeah, maybe we should get another cactus. We should. Take the funny thing is that last year Paul had my name for Secret Santa, and he wrapped up his daughter's cactus and gave it to me so as a joke so I had two cactuses for a bit so but, <laughs> but maybe then this year you, you had to get another one but then you had to give back I had, you had to give it back yeah yeah but it was a funny joke all right Audrey's we're coming to get a cactus <laughs> and then you'll have Elvi yes that's right that's my joke of the day <laughs> Elvi no all right and uh, downtown also has a new live country bar so cheers live country bar is open at 1741 Grafton Street it's above the Roxbury on Grafton. Uh, it features live bands and DJs playing urban country music. Now, I have a great idea. I think they should have a line dancing lesson and competition because I would definitely go for that and drag Ivy with me. Absolutely not. <laughs> nope. Not it's happening. It's the same location as Cheers was. It's in the same. It's oh, no, above. it's upstairs. Yeah, okay, it's, but it's, it's just upstairs. Cheers again, but it's mm-hmm. focused on country. Okay, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, country live music. But I can't imagine a line dancing class on Grafton Street. I can totally visualize it. Yep, and Cheers Live could lead it. Mm -hmm. Giving them some ideas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And um, finally, the last new business we're going to introduce in this episode is the Big Mustache Hair Studio. They're open at 1521 Sackville Street, providing high-quality and fashionable barber services. The Big Mustache offers a warm, timeless and comfortable environment where clients can enjoy a break from their daily grind, and all mustache sizes are welcome. Some special mentions, House of Eights has moved to a new location. They are open in 1717 Barrington Street. Meta Lebanese Kitchen has finished up their renovations and have reopened at their location, which is at 1558 Barrington Street. And finally, a talent management firm, Roya Thompson, has moved to a new location in 1718 Argyle Street, Suite 500. Exciting. Lots of new things happening. Yeah. yeah. Movement downtown. And Kuda, this is your last episode yeah. with us. I know. <laughs> we're all is. crying on the inside right I now. I am crying, too. You will no longer have to hear my beautiful voice. Kuda is leaving for greener pastures. No, how could there be greener pastures? pastures. Harder pastures. (laughs) Just different pastures. Different pastures. There we go. A different pasture. Yeah, I'm going to do my MBA. Yay! Which is exciting for you. Yeah. It's bad for us. But I will miss everybody. I will miss downtown. I will be back. This is not goodbye. This is see you later. (laughs) Very good. Yeah. No, we wish you luck. Thank uh, you. And that's all the best. Everything. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. The Coast Top 5 Events. It's time again for the Coast Top 5 Events with Morgan Mullen, the arts and entertainment editor at the Coast, Halifax's Weekly. Hey, Morgan, how's it going? Hello, I am well. How are you today? Good. Welcome back. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Thank Feeling you. Feeling very fallish today, which is exciting because it's always like fall is my favorite season. But you know, I like fall also. It's yeah. bittersweet. Yes, it is. It is bittersweet. <laughs> summer was. It was a short summer this year. It was definitely, a definitely feels like it for mm-hmm. sure. Cool. So what's happening? All kinds of stuff. Um, Starting off with one of my favorite local artists, Maddie Alexander, is doing an exhibit called 21 Days to Make or Break a Habit. That's showing uh, in the Kyber window space. I don't know if, uh, are you familiar with that? 
Basically, I'm not. Okay, so uh, the Kyber uh, Art Center has this huge window space that is viewable, obviously, from the street on Hollis, but also from uh, the inside of the building. Okay. And basically, the exhibit is all about how last year after International Day for Transgender Awareness, this artist started keeping track of all the times that they were misgendered in public, and every time she w- uh, they were misgendered, um, they would give themselves a small tattoo on their hand, and so it's a, a document of all the tattoos as like a, a bit of a tally on the left and right hand, and then they have like the ink and the other implements that were used. So I think it's for someone like me who is trying to like be a good ally and learn about that mm-hmm. stuff. I find sometimes these sorts of things are uh, not that it's their responsibility to teach us, but it's a great way to kind of like learn and, and kind of. Right. Mm-hmm. You know things are happening, stuff like this can help a person understand it, I guess would be how I would put it. So yeah, so I think that's going to be both visually interesting and also just very thoughtful. So I'm excited to see that when it comes yeah, out. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. That is really, that sounds so powerful yeah. and, and very intense. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. all the incidents that they have to deal with. Yes, exactly. I can't even wrap my head around that yeah. right now. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Flipping it over into a bit of lighter side of things, there's this new uh, spot downtown called House of Eights. That's a dance studio, or newish to me anyway. Um, I'm kind of stealing this one a little bit from a really great article that ran in the coast a couple weeks ago by one of our writers, Brandon Young. But anyway, um, that's okay. Uh, yeah. Steal away. That's right. <laughs> We're okay they with do, that. Uh, they as do long as he is with Yeah, with I mean, <laughs> Brandon, this is a shout out to you. So um, basically, they do all kinds of different uh, rotating schedule of dance classes there, and they have a lot of stuff that's aimed at beginners. And I just think the environment looks super welcoming and fun. I'm not a dancer. No, I'm, I'm like, not a dancer. <laughs> I'm like beyond two left feet, but I think it looks like the kind of spot where, you know, if you have a knack for that, it's cool and you can go meet some new people. If you don't have a knack for it, but you just want to have fun, I think you could go there and try some different stuff. Um, so their full schedule is online at houseofeights.com, and that's um, like spelled out as like H O U S E O F. E I G H T S dot com. I was trying yeah. to find a succinct way to say not the numeral and yeah. <laughs> went way long. Right but now. anyway, yeah, Jose <laughs> Bates is great. They performed at Switch or they did a uh, class. Dance they class did, at yeah, hip hop back class. in September. Yes, yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. And they, their classes look fun. They have great videos on Instagram. So they do. You them on Instagram, you can see all their dance Definitely. dances they do. They're really, they're really talented. Super cool. Definitely. What else? So I feel like every time I come on here, there's two places that I'm really hyping up, but it's just two places that I really like. So I guess that's all right. Jessica. Ray, who is a musician from New Brunswick who's really uh, known for having that kind of like classic rock kind of uh, perfect perfect voice for that, is coming to the Carlton on October 12th. She's doing this thing that I think is really cool. There's a lot of people out there who really like Bob Dylan, but she's kind of like a next level fan. And she actually takes a bunch of his songs and redoes them uh, in, a, in a new light. And I think it's kind of cool to see someone taking the work of a prolific artist and envisioning it from the side of like you know, women are normally the subject of those kind of songs, and so mm-hmm. to put them in the narrator's seat, I think, is kind of a cool thing. And so uh, she's going to be playing a show that's going to be 20 bucks, and I think it's going to be uh, an interesting... You have the added benefit of you already know the words, but it's still right. something fresh. And so it's kind of that nice in between. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. So I think that'll be cool. And then my, my, my other spot that I end up hyping a lot, but it's because they're doing cool things, is Neptune Theater is showing Pleasureville uh, from October 1st to 20th. Tickets start at 30 bucks, and basically the premise of the story is that there's this uh, professor who is a specialist in human sexuality who moves to this small, sleepy little town, is looking for something to do, and decides to open up a sex shop. And uh, it's written by women, it's directed by women, it's I, pretty much an all-lady cast, I believe, and I think it is a great way to kind of like open up some of those conversations 
about pleasure and things like that. So I think that'll be like, I think the talk you have with the friends that you go to that play with mm-hmm. after <laughs> is going to be a fun one. Yeah, and yeah. that's yeah. written by Ellen Denny, isn't it? I believe, um, yeah. And she's no stranger to Neptune because mm-hmm. she started out as an actor and I think she still acts, I but she so lives well. in Toronto and now mm-hmm. she's back as a playwright, which, which is, is exciting. It is, really. It's yeah. also really fun sometimes to watch those kind of career turns and like rises and see people take on new projects yeah. and stuff like that kind of follow along. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, cool. And rounding out number five on my list, uh, for people who have been paying attention to Finn uh, Atlantic International Film Fest, there was a, a great documentary on artist Mary Pratt. If you missed the movie, though, uh, or sometimes just as an addition, if you really liked it, sometimes it's nice to see the, the thing that the movie was about up close in, in real life. And so the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia uh, in its lobby for the month of October is going to be showing one of Mary Pratt's pieces. Uh, it's called Artifacts on AstroTurf, and it's a pretty a pretty historic piece of art that you can go and look at for free and get a bit of an extra appreciation of who this person is and what they were about. Mary Pratt is pretty amazing. Her yeah. pictures are so realistic. And it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. incredible. Definitely. And I feel like she's, I mean, she's always kind of been in prominent, but her her husband, her ex-husband, I think Christopher Pratt was also yeah. pretty big. And yeah, definitely. So it's nice to see her being featured. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's pretty exciting. So yes. And also, of course, uh, we've been talking a lot about visual art, and it's we would be remiss to not mention that Nocturne is happening on October 19th. For people who don't know, Nocturne is art's big night out. Basically, there's visual art installations that pop up all over the city. One of my favorite events in Halifax because you see people out and walking around and engaging with stuff and looking at stuff, and it, the city really kind of comes alive uh, in a way that you don't get to see very much, so that's very exciting, too. So um, that's that's what I have for us Fine. right now. So yeah. I have a couple extra ones to I want to hear all about it. Uh, Soul Tribe Live, Make Big Magic. <gasps> Elizabeth Gilbert. How yes. did I forget about that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> all my down. friends and I really want to go see her, and we're going to take our coffees of Eat, Pray, Love, and it's going to be a lot, but it's going to be the best. Yes, yes. yes. So <laughs> that is taking place at the Halifax Convention Center yes. on October 11th and 12th, and it's being touted as a weekend of inspiration. Mm-hmm. So Gilbert is doing the keynote session on a Friday night called Creative Living Beyond Fear, which I think mm-hmm. is talking about not being afraid to be creative and putting yourself out there. Uh, mm-hmm. So other speakers include Anne Barube, who wrote the book Be, Feel, Think, Do, and uh, she actually has a really fascinating backstory. She's in a car accident or some type of accident in her early yeah. 20s, and she sort of had this uh, sort of aha moment, I guess, about living a better life. Um, so she'd be really interesting to see. And Nancy mm. Regan. Hallie Famous. <laughs> we all love Nancy. Uh, and she's sitting down with Elizabeth Gilbert to interview her live on stage, and it will be a part of her Soul Booth podcast. So it is a ticketed event, uh, but you can buy tickets for the full weekend, or you can just pick a specific uh, session. So you can learn more about this at soultribe.live. All of this sounds so exciting, and they all sound like such a good match for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert's talk reminds me a little bit of her book, Big Magic, which is all kind of about like being brave and like going ahead and doing the creative idea that you have that you think isn't good enough and that kind of thing. So I think that's yeah. going to be really cool to hear all these other ladies who are kind of rolling in that same sort of vein of thought and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. And, and you're a big fan, aren't you? I, yeah. I know. I'm like over here standing so hard for her. <laughs> I need to calm down. <laughs> I've actually, I haven't read the book. I'll have to get it and read it. I, I saw the movie. Yes. And I yeah. must say that I don't usually do this, but I think I cried a little bit. Just a little Ooh. bit. I know. I've never seen I know. the show Shocking. Emotion. I'm shocked right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so cold on the inside, usually. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so next up, 
Bruce Gethro is hosting a songwriter circle on October 19th at Casino Nova Scotia. He'll be joined on stage by three other artists as yet to be announced. It is the same night as Nocturne. Nocturne mm-hmm. is taking place on October 19th also. Yeah. But you can go to see Bruce at 8 p.m. and then stay downtown afterwards and still enjoy some of Nocturne. Make a night of it. Make a whole night, night of it. Because it is our biggest night out on the town. So that's, that's right. exciting. Yes. And then for those of you still interested in the Titanic, and I know there are a lot of you out there. <laughs> Looking at Ivy. <laughs> a lot of people love the Titanic. So. I don't know why she's putting me on the spot all the time, but anyway. <laughs> uh, the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic is hosting Born in Belfast, Titanic, and Harland and Wolf with David Kaplan on October 22nd. This is a talk that will explore the history of the Harland and Wolf shipyard where the Titanic was built and will also touch on the new Titanic Belfast Museum and there's a new Titanic Belfast Hotel which I had no idea. Yeah, that's like... Yeah, I don't know if it's like a Titanic-themed hotel, which... Mm. <laughs> a re- a re- like reproduction of the Titanic? <laughs> it sounds really yeah. interesting, yeah. Um, I wonder, like, if you would feel like you had to uh, go and, like, change your clothes for dinner if you were staying there, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. like a fancy, fancy old-timey person. I don't know. Person. I don't know. My <laughs> in-laws did go to the Titanic <laughs> Belfast Museum. They said it was amazing. Mm. They had really good, uh, good reviews of that. So I bet that sounds interesting. But the hotel seems... Anyways, I guess you have to go to the talk and find out. That's right. True. Yeah, find out for yourself. And the talk starts at 7 p.m. Yes, and the talk (laughs) starts at 7, and it's an open event. You don't need a ticket, so it's, Mm -hmm. I guess, first come, first serve. So that sounds like an an interesting night. Definitely. And uh, that's it. So lots of stuff going on in the next two weeks. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. That was Morgan Mullen, the arts and entertainment editor at The Coast. She'll be joining us every episode to let us know what is happening in downtown Halifax. For more information on events, visit downtownhalifax.ca or thecoast.ca. And now for some shameless self-promotion. So right now we are just going to take a minute to talk about what we are up to at DHBC. So we have a quick update on the 5th Annual Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide. For those of you who didn't listen to our last podcast, which is shameful if you didn't, we have a Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide that features businesses and products in the downtown area. So so if you need ideas for uh, gifts this year for the holidays, uh, this is a great guide to give you some ideas of uh, those hard-to-shop-for people in your life. So if you have a product to sell, and that includes gift certificates for restaurants or tickets to show, you're welcome to be in the gift guide. You just have to be located in the downtown Halifax area. So it's $60 for a half-page listing, and with that listing, you can feature up to two products with a two-sentence blurb about each product, plus your contact information. The cost goes towards the printing cost. And are um, there still full-page ads available? No, there's no full-page ads. Oh, they're all they taken all up. Yes. Wow. Okay. So we just Popular. have the half-page listings now. If you're interested, you can email communications at downtownhalifax.ca. But note that the deadline is coming up. It's this Friday, October 11th, and that is the drop-dead date to get in. So if you're interested, email us uh, right away, and we can help you get in. And just a little update on our distribution. So this year, we're doing something a little bit different. We are printing 25,000 copies this year, which is 15,000 more than we did uh, in 2018. And 23,000 of those will be inserted into the November 14th issue of The Coast, which we are very excited about. We think that the audience of The Coast will be a great fit for the audience of The Guide. And the remaining 2,000 copies will be distributed in Scotia Square and the Halifax uh, Ferry Terminal. And, of course, you'll be able to find them at all the participating businesses yes, exactly. as well. Yes. yes, And we also give out a special light to all the participants to put in your windows to show that you're in the gift guide. So everyone, all the participants in the gift guide get about 10 copies of the guide, and then they also get this light. So it's kind of uh, a nice little thing to have that you can use year after year. 
Yeah, and all the shoppers can look for those lights and find the deals in all those uh, businesses. Yes, that's right. We call that our Halifax Lights Trail. Halifax Lights Trail? The Light Trail. Yeah, Light Trail. (laughs) Sure, why not? (laughs) And we are also busy organizing the Halifax Lights Festival. So we are going to have uh, holiday-themed events and activities taking place in the downtown area between November 30th and December 7th. If you would like to get involved or if your business or organization is planning a holiday event or activity during that time frame, let us know. You can contact us at info at downtownhalifax.ca. It's a great festival, I must say. <laughs> if I do say so myself, I know that we are the ones that organize mm-hmm. it. But uh, yeah, lots of family fun in Cornwallis Park and Argyle Street, throughout the downtown, and the businesses get involved. So and all the great. events and activities are free and open to everyone who wants to participate. And it's also great you can come in, take part in the activities, go for dinner, do some shopping. You can do everything in downtown Halifax. That's right. <laughs> You've been listening to Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Find us on social media at Downtown Halifax. If you like what you heard, please share your thoughts using hashtag Downtown Lowdown. For more information and links, visit downtownhalifax.ca.